Hello. Hello, hello. <clears throat> so uh, today, uh, you're listening to MCRO Radio, sponsored by uh, MCRO Beer, Glacier Cold, Fawn Fresh. Um, we're going to be running through a, uh, a book that I picked up a little bit ago. It's going to be story time today. <clears throat> and story time for the next couple weeks, most likely as well. And, um, you know, with uh, COVID being what it is, I've kind of put a halt on uh, friends coming to the studio playing music because so many people are playing out. You know, just trying to be a little more uh, uh, smart about that, you know. So, yeah, we're going to run through a book. I'm tired of playing records for you. I um, started reading this a couple weeks ago. It's a small publication from uh, London called Hellbore Zines. They're uh, really cool. Um, you know, saying zines kind of sells them short because it's like really nicely well done, really intelligent writing. They go through um, uh, more of like the, the deeper folklore from from Britain, London, UK kind of world. Uh, stuff that I'm not super familiar with, stuff that I've like, scratched the surface on, um, stuff I'm slightly familiar with, you know, more familiar with like, you know, American folklore and everything, just because, you know, that's what we all grew up with. So I found these guys on uh, Instagram, and it's been uh, it's been amazing. They put out a, a new zine every uh, solstice. Um, it's been uh, amazing content. It's writers, you know, from the ages of you know mid twenties to early forties. So it's like written in a much more modern, palatable sense that makes it much more digestible, much more interesting, um, very thorough. Uh, you know, stuff you didn't think of, like a like deck of cards. They have like some like uh, writings on that like the devil's playbook and stuff like they have a really phenomenal publication going there big fan so when they put out this occult guide to britain i was really excited because it's not a super in-depth exhausting um writing on this stuff it's pretty it's like cool little quips and kind of breaks it down to each region you know we got uh you know the whole the whole island broken down even just northern ireland not the rest of ireland but just northern ireland gotta love it so they include, uh, you know, the southwest, the southeast. They break it down into sections: like East uh, Anglia, West Midlands, Wales, East Midlands, Northeast, Northwest, Scotland, yada yada. So today we'll just start at the beginning of the book, um, the southwest, which kind of runs us through Cornwall, Devon, Dorset, Somerset, Gloucestershire, and Wiltshire. Um, so some of the places I'm slightly familiar with, maybe you are as well, if you know you're into this kind of stuff, but. Uh, you know, I really don't have to do anything except read it because it's such uh, potent information on each little excerpt about these places. Um, one thing that I did learn that I wasn't, you know, I kind of knew was a thing but not fully, fully aware of. Stonehenge. They are all over the place on the island. The the stone monoliths, they are fucking everywhere. And they, they have a lot of information, a lot of theories on each one of those spots. Like just in the southwest, there's, let's see... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve different massive stone monoliths just in the southwest. And they break down these maps. They're really well done, you know, so you can kind of fast forward to what you want to check out. You know, their, their map key, you know, their little witch hat, and, you know, calls that witching and cunning folk. And then a little like the pan's head kind of says the old gods, you know, kind of dive into more of like that kind of realm. And then... You know the ancient monolith megaliths portals to the other world like the, the map key is really cool on here makes you want to makes you just want to kind of keep thumbing through this so i had a lot of dairy this weekend a little little sinusy my apologies um <clears throat> so yeah that's gonna be a thing so let's just get started we're gonna start in cornwall the first thing to kind of dive into is uh bodmin moor uh this is uh remote granite moorland is one of cornwall's areas of outstanding beauty and every corner of it steeped in legend. Dark, bleak, and desolate, punctuated by ruins of the Cornish mining industry, its archaeological remains hint as its importance during the Bronze Age. And kind of dive into some of the megaliths here, the, the ritual landscape, as they call it. Um, the concentration of late Neolithic and Bronze Age monuments of the south, eastern edge of Bodmin Moor suggests they formed a ritual landscape, perhaps marking a processional, processional route across the moors. So, you know, if someone was, you know, uh, what's the what's the word here for that? And just going through the, the, the steps of what they want to achieve. They're, they're saying that this area is essentially just like the pathway to kind of get to that that final result there. So they start with 
The pipers, which is to the west of the hurlers, are a pair of outlying upright stones standing close together, said to be petrified remains of two men who played music on a Sunday. So I love the the the, the myths, the folklore behind these like megaliths because it's it's no no one truly knows. Like all of that druidic shit just kind of like disappeared. Um, nothing was written down, or if it was, it was destroyed. So like we're just kind of working off a of theory is what we slowly find through the years. And uh, I, I I love what they put together here. So the pipers, you mentioned the hurlers, which they are um, next to. The hurlers are uh, three adjacent stone circles said to be the remains of men petrified for playing the ancient game of hurling on a Sunday, as is often the case with stone circles in Britain. The stones are said to be uncountable. Uh, so yeah, a lot of these like megaliths, are they, they, they theorize that they are just people who broke code, broke law, and were just petrified in stone, and then they lay as like warning and as worship places and places yeah it's a I, I love this shit it's so good because they're all very unique shapes and like you lay it out a certain way so it's like it it gives a lot of room for the mind to play to kind of think about what they uh what they were there for and what they originally used for uh what's next we so we still are we're still in cornwall the uh the other two monoliths that are there the uh Rilliton barrow to the northwest of the hurlers is the largest barrow in Cornwall. Uh, barrow is essentially, you know, like a little bit of a cave built with, uh, you know, essentially like an awning entrance with these uh, big stone structures to kind of get you into that little grassy knoll there. To the northwest of the hurlers is the largest barrow in Cornwall, probably the burial place of a Bronze Age tribal chief. The site was said to be haunted by the ghost of a druidic priest who offered passers-by a drink from a golden cup which could never be emptied. In 1837, stoneworkers discovered a human skeleton and some grave goods. Among these was a beautiful gold cup, now kept by the British Museum, but by all accounts empty. So these, you know, this is probably a story just kind of came from finding this cup and, you know, they just kind of let it go and to scare the kids, local kids or local travelers out from, like, staying inside there. Or it could have been true. This cup, at one point when he was alive, never emptied. So, but on the uh, southern edge of the moor stands the uh, the Trethevi Coit. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Q-U-O-I-T. A Neolithic portal dolmen that may have also served as a place of worship. So this is like six stones as like a gradient. Maybe about like the first one's like, you know, three to four feet high. Then it goes to about seven to eight feet high, I think. And it goes like a little angle of a ramp so you can go in and the ceiling gets higher as you go in. It's really intense looking. So it's like a little, like, you know, a little two to three person place of worship. Go in there, drop to your knees, see what's going on. Um, <clears throat> the next spot in, uh, in Cornwall is uh, the legend of Jan Tregeagle. Bodman Moore is said to be haunted by the demonic ghost of Jan Tregeagle, whose greed in the life made him commit uh, the wickedest sins rumored to have sold his soul to the devil this folk villain Cornwall's own Faust or wandering Jew was in reality a 17th century magistrate who lived in the uh, lived in the bottom when they died he was buried in an unmarked grave in St. Briac's churchyard to avoid hell his spirit was tasked with emptying the waters of Dosemary pool with a limpet shell which had a hole in it after four years of incessant work, when he dared to rest for a moment, the devil and his hounds descended upon him. Tregeagle fled, looking for sanctuary in the chapel of Roche Rock. Narrowly escaping, he carried on performing impossible tasks in several places in Cornwall. But it is Bodmin Moore that is haunted by his howling ghost, and by the devil and his hellhounds chasing him for all eternity. They go on to explain uh, Dosmary Pool and Roche Rock. Uh, aside from being linked to the legend of John Tregeagle, Dosemary Pool is known as the place where the Lady of the Lake emerged to King Arthur, the sword Excalibur, and where Sir Bevedere, uh, Bedivere returned in after Arthur's death in the Battle of uh, Camelot. Roche Rock, the Black Granite Plateau, is associated with witches and demons long before John Tregeagle in the 15th century, a chapel consecrated to St. Michael, the archangel who defeated the devil, was built on. Um, yeah, so it's like, like I said, this is a perfect little digestible bits about running through Britain. 
if you know this is what you're into um, even if you don't want to use this as a travel guide this is great if you're not super familiar and just interested in that world of like you know what to kind of look into what to dive deeper into you know through this book i found out sir arthur cannon doyle uh the guy who wrote off sherlock holmes you know a lot of masonic references throughout his books um but was he was just super deep into the occult and they kind of go into places where he was involved in seances uh how he was involved in like the new forest da 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 um so it's just a really great if you're interested in this stuff just kind of thumb through it find some stuff that really you're slightly familiar with you can dive deeper into it from there um so yeah let's uh let's keep running through cornwall here we got um i mean oh yeah i got a record playing in the background i got some just just some background noise so it's not just my voice i don't, I don't think that would be the most uh appealing so what do we got here manitol um What was it? oh oh yeah this it's a, a big and one more of the the, the monoliths here a big old rock with a big old hole in it uh, this group of standing stones may have been part of a neolithic or early bronze age circle the stone with the hole also known as the devil's eye or the crick stone has been the focus of rituals since ancient times placing two brass pins on the top of the stones to interpret their movements was a way of foretelling the, for the future Women who wanted to become pregnant were told to pass through the stone seven times backwards on a full moon. Children with rickets would be cured if they passed through nine times through the hole, naked. Uh, the stones were said to cure a from the king's evil or scrofula. I don't even know what that is. Traditionally curable only by touch of the reigning monarch. Within a mile or so are a few sites worth exploring. Landing Coit, built around 2500 BCE. The inscribed standing stone of men, Scrypha, uh, the Nine Maidens of Boscanan, and the rocky summit of Karngalp, the natural feature on which the ceremonial landscape was likely arranged. So they don't even, they don't even dive into everything available in that area. They just kind of give you the highlights of, you know, places you'd, you'd really want to check out the more significant ones. And then there's uh, plenty more to follow through afterwards if you didn't get your fill. So, um, like I said, we'll keep going. They got a lot of, a lot of these monoliths listed here. I'm just going to go through the book front to back, and that'll probably take up a couple weeks of the show. <clears throat> so they got the Merry Maidens of Bole. I, I really need to kind of make sure I'm pronouncing these places right, but maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, this late Neolithic stone circle is said to be the petrified remains of 19 maidens who dared to dance on a Sunday. They really didn't like anything going on Sundays, it seemed. No hurling, no dancing, no singing. Uh, the two musicians who were playing for the Merry Maidens ran away but weren't fast enough. They returned to this two stones known as the Pipers. That's kind of cool. Yeah, you, you know, you, the stuff we read in the beginning, they kind of bring you back to it to kind of come full circle how all these megaliths are associated in like the local folklore. Um, you know, we, we, we don't really have too much of that in the where I grew up in, in Jersey. You know, really too many... Uh, large stone megaliths out there with uh, really cool stories behind it. So next we got a, a Bronze Age ceremonial site, uh, Baskawain Un. Uh, we got a, yeah, it's, it's unusual in that the central stone, slightly southwest of True Center, the central stone is believed to have been used for ritualistic purposes in the Neolithic era. Thus predating the circle of the 19 stones, a number of often a number often associated with the cycle of the moon. Okay. So that's pretty cool. And you find out all this stuff is like, uh, you know, we have these calendars that lay out the moon cycle for us, but they, they were kind of already in tune with all of that. And now these big stone uh, structures kind of help keep track of that, the way they, you know, worship the moon or their practice on that. Uh, for the 1978 Doctor Who story, the Stones of Blood, um, Baskau and Un became the Nine Travelers, a stone circle located in the fictional Bascombe Moor, where a druidic sect performed their blood sacrifices. The goddess they worship, the Kaliak, is later revealed to be a bloodthirsty alien criminal able to command the stones at will. So that's a that's another cool thing about this. They do a lot of uh, film references, book references, if anything was used in a, you know, movie or tv show they, they always kind of noted which is which is always a fun little fact when you find out the the truth behind stuff that you might be familiar with if you are a 
Doctor Who fan. Um, there's something else I want to say that I forget now. Maybe if I remember, I'll come back to it. So the Tregaseal Stone Circle, um, the late Neolithic Stone Circle of Tregaseal is associated with the fairy folk and the nearby Karn Kendijak, a natural outcrop with a distinctive shape, is known as the site of the Devil's Wrestling Match. The story goes that two miners saw the cairn glowing as they were returning home, found a group of demon wrestlers in a match presided over by the Devil. I like that story, man. Just kind of just coming home Saturday night, see this little glow, go up to the old stone circle, see a bunch of demons wrestling. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a story to bring home. I don't have anything that cool. I have two drunk guys at the corner bar, and that's about it. Bale Fugu. Man, I definitely did not pronounce that right. It's kind of like a chair shape, a really tall back chair shape. Uh, the grounds of Rosemarin House hide a mysterious underground tunnel that can be visited if requested. Lined with stone walls and roofed with stone slabs, it has a main passage which is over 10 meters long, as well as a side chamber. Books mention a shallow carving known as the God of Fogu on the left-hand side, a figure with its right arm raised, now almost completely faded. These kinds of structures named Fogus, pronounced, oh, I even tell you, pronounced Fogus, appear in Iron Age settlements in Cornwall and Scotland, but their original purpose is still unknown. During the English Civil War, Bale Fogus, was used as a hiding place for royalists. And legend has it, it was a meeting place for witches used for ceremonies by the inhabitants of the house. Yeah. You could, you can go over there for, for a full year, I feel like, because we're only like eight pages deep and there's still about a million pages to go. There's so many cool sites <clears throat> all around the countryside with so many cool stories. You could, you could just spend forever and just kind of frolic around down there. Oh, no, it's the record stop. Let me uh, let me go ahead and flip that over. Keep the background noise going. <coughs> Give me a little break from talking here for a minute. Just a moment. I'll get some water. Everything is going to be great. Everything's lovely. Where's my water? Hydration is key. So where were we? <clears throat> we just left uh, the Bali Fugus and we're on to the, uh, the Stones of Lamorna. Starts off with a quote. The life of a region depends ultimately upon its geological substratum. For this sets up a chain reaction which passes, determining their character and turn through its streams and wells, its vegetation, its vegetation and the animal life that feeds on this. And finally, through the type of human being attracted to live there. In a profound sense, also, the structure of its rocks gives life to the psychic life of the land. That was uh, from Itchel Calhoun. No clue who they are. <clears throat> so, a British surrealist painter, writer, occultist, Ethel Calhoun. That's who they, well, there, there you go. They, they expected me or you to not know who that was. So, they just kind of followed it up right there for you. Good, good job, guys. See, these people are great. Uh, spent the latter part of her life in Cornwall, first in Valcave, a now demolished but near, a, a now demolished hut near uh, Lamorna Gate, then in the village of Paul. In the Living Stone, she painted a portrait of land built on layers of mythic, of myth and magic, from her arrival in 1949 to her visits to Padstow, Harlan, or Tintagel. Uh, for Calhoun, Lamorna's numinous quantity emanates from the land itself. Uh, the stones of Lamorna. Um, it doesn't give a proper photo of that actually. It just has a maybe this is it. It's a it's a stone structure of a woman. Hmm. Oh, the uh, Museum of Witchcraft and Magic. You know, I've I've been to a few of these places. They're always kind of cheeky and you know just you know sell some crystals at the front door. Salem was a uh, very much heavy on that. Um, but you know I feel like you know out in the Nowhere lands of the southwest in Cornwall, a museum of witchcraft and magic might be a little more, uh, a little more intelligent than you know a, a, a main street, you know, 
buy these incense kind of place. Uh, maybe that's me just being hopeful. I don't know. Maybe they're all like that. Who knows? Uh, from its origins in Castleton on the Isle of Man, where it was originally founded by Cecil Williamson in 1951 with Gerald Gardner and its resident witch, the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic has moved between different locations before settling in Boss Castle in 1960. Dedicated to European witchcraft and magic, it contains objects links with uh, bulk magic, ceremonial magic, Freemasonry, and Wicca. So they, they, they've got some pretty good roots. They've, you know, moved around a bit. I would say, you know, that's definitely on the uh, the talking points if you're going out there to visit and run around. This seems like a place you'd want to check out. And up next, they got listed uh, Porth Kerno Cove, the treacherous coastline near... Now, this, this gives me some photos, so I, I have a, you know, better understanding. I don't know how this is translating just through uh, me talking about it, but, you know, these places are really cool looking. I really want to, you know... Figured a way to take a year out of my life and just travel around here. That'd be pretty sweet. Um, so, like I said, Porth Corner Cove, uh, the treacherous coastline near Porth Corner Cove, who was said to be frequented by witches. They would gather near the Logan Rock, a naturally balancing stone near Treen, invoking storms that would make ships crash against the rocks so they could steal their cargoes. There are also tales of a ghostly ship. Uh, gliding over the sea and sand before vanishing like smoke. Some have linked the hauntings to a strange sailor who used to live in the area, and whose servant was said to be the devil himself. Damn, badass sailor with the devil as a servant. That's a probably badass motherfucker right there. And then uh, they list Merlin's Cave. That, that's a name I think anybody listening is going to be familiar with. Uh, this 330-foot-long cave formed by marine erosion is said to have been the abode of the wizard Merlin of Arthurian legends. Not far from its ruins is uh, Tintago Castle, the rumored birthplace of Arthur himself. So, that's pretty cool. I've seen a lot of photos of that cave. It seems like a really, really neat place. Um, then they have the uh, Isles of Sicily. <clears throat> the cluster of islands is associated with the mythical land of Leonice, swallowed by the sea in a single night, and said to be the home of Arthurian hero uh, Tristan. The abundance of megalithic chambered cairns explains why they were thought to be the Isles of the Dead, where the remains of the people from elsewhere were brought to be buried. Particularly worth seeing are the Banskarn burial chamber, and below it, the Iron Age village of Halangi Down and its cemetery, both on St. Mary's Island. Um, so the I think after I read this originally, they have like fairies that kind of take you out there. You can check this place out. In the old Abbey Gardens of Tresco, there stands a four feet long hold stone. Uh, couples would pass their hands through the holes and join them to become engaged. It was also used as a wishing stone, or according to J.C. Tonkins, to break spells, where a ring would be passed through the holes with uh, some incantations. So that, that, that's a do-it-all stone. It can bring it together. It can break you apart. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got a lot of power, that world. Um, so now we got a pretty decent amount of information on the Great Beast in Cornwall. And this will be the, you know, our last stop before we move on to the next town, which is Devon. So, the Great Beast in Cornwall. Uh, shortly, but this starts with a quote from um, Ithel Calhoun, you know, who we mentioned before. They were, uh, just kind of remind ourselves. Let me go back to that painter, writer, uh, surrealist, surrealist painter, writer, and occultist. Um, so really, really, really deep into the culture here. Probably a very, um, well, well-versed, knowledgeable human being in this, in this sense. Shortly before the war, the man whom the sensational press is still calling the wickedest man in the world paid a visit to Mouse Hole. This was a gift of gossip. The accusations range widely in seriousness. Some merely assert he was a bad influence in the district, others that he and his followers danced naked around the stone circle at Eagle, yet others that he performed rites on the rocks above Trevolo, that he revived druidic cults involving human sacrifice and his disciples and the locals locality still resort to this practice, kidnapping women for the purpose, not a word of factual evidence is brought forward in substantiation. So this dude just came to town. Everyone just thought he was a bad dude, bad vibes, a lot of stories going around, but no actual factual proof of anything. Um, got a 
got a picture of his mug here. He he looks like he he'd do some dirty work. You know, he's got the jowls, he's got the forehead wrinkle, he's got the back, the pushback wig. Ears got a little bit of a point, a little bit lower than his eyes, so it kind of makes his eyes really strong. Nice flat lips, you know. Definitely looks like a very curious dude. So Karn Cottage um, dives in further to uh, some stuff about this guy. Private land uh, hidden amongst the bracken, not far from the B three three zero six. That was one of the monoliths. Rather than naming them out, they kind of give them new numbers. Sorry, I'm not going to go back to that. Stands an abandoned cottage known as Alistair Crowley's house. The cottage, now situated on private land, acquired a sinister reputation after the mysterious death of Catherine Laird Cox in 1938. Catherine Cox, as she's known, was a member of the Neo-Pagans and a friend of the Bloomsbury Group who became the first woman magistrate in Cornwall. After the war, she settled at Eagle's Nest below Carn Cottage, which was then rented by a couple, Gerald and Ellaline Vaughn. The Vaughns welcomed the child in 1937, after which Ellaline's mental health rapidly deteriorated. On May 21st, 1938, the couple invited Kay Cox to their cottage. Whatever happened that evening, by the end of it, Cox was dead. It was rumored that the Vaughns had befriended Alistair Crowley, who had dragged them into a web of black magic, and as a local magistrate, Cox intended to help them. There were also rumors that the locals who did not want the couple nearby were gaslighting them by moving piles of stones and casting strange shadows. Some people say that Crowley had summoned a demon at the cottage and it was fear that killed Cox, K. Cox, uh, and drove Gerald mad, eventually sending him into the Bodmin Asylum. That Crowley's diaries entries don't place him anywhere near Cornwall at the time seems re- irrelevant. He has, however, in the area of Penzance and a few months later in August, visiting his son in Aturk, Ataturk and staying in the lobster pot in Mousehole. Gerald Vaughn was never uh, interned in Bodmin Asylum. As for Kay Cox, her death certificate states she died of a brain hemorrhage. Uh, nevertheless, Crowley's enduring notoriety seems fused with this little cottage whose isolated location among the ancient megaliths of the moorland in an area brimming with witchcraft and folklore guarantees that it will continue to inspire lurid tales uh, the nearby zener coit a megalithic burial chamber is said to possess a mystical power and a certain sentience any stones removed from the structure would mysteriously find their way back in the middle of the night that's like a little tidbit next to that uh um story i guess that's really close to where all that shit went down so yeah that wraps it up for cornwall on to Devon. Um, I'm going to grab a new record, I think. Eh, this one can last a little bit longer. Got a broken social scene playing in the background. Got it slowed down a bit. Kind of some weird ambience. But, you know, a lot of talking on this track. So it's a little, little bit weird. But, you know, we'll get through it. Because I don't mind it. So, uh, Devon. First spot in Devon they talk about is Dartmoor, uh, with its treacherous bogs, dramatic rock formations, prehistoric remains, and the merciless river Dart, said to claim one life every year. Dartmoor remains one of Britain's most haunted landscapes in the popular imagination. Um, The first stop we make in this section is the Church of St. Pancras. On October 21st, 1638, the so-called Cathedral of the Moor was hit by a terrible thunderstorm. While the congregation was listening to the Parson's sermon, the debris killed at least four parishioners and injured 60. Set into the floor are grave slabs of Roger Hill and his wife, two of the victims. Legend has it that the thunderstorm was caused by the devil when he rode a black horse to the church to collect the soul of a young gambler who had made a pact with him and fell asleep during the service. After snatching him away, they rode into the storm, and as they were reaching Birch Tor, the four acres from the young, the four aces from the young man's uh, pack of cards, fell to the ground. It is said that the four of the ancient field enclosures that can be seen from the Warren House Inn are shaped like the symbols from the pack of cards: clubs, diamonds, hearts, and spades. Before reaching the church, the devil had stopped at Tavistock Inn, in nearby Poundsgate where the parishioners noticed his cloven feet. 
He ordered a mug of ale, which hissed as it went down his throat. His mug left a mark on the counter, and when he left, the coins he'd used to pay turned to dried leaves. God, drugs are cool. God, I want these stories. <laughs> I want to say these stories and, and believe them, because it just sounds so cool. Um, the next uh, part of that, you know, Church of St. Pancras, the Lichway, comes from uh, Belliver Forest. Uh, this is a 12-mile ancient pathway. Um, was followed by the farmers who lived on the northern fringe of the moor to go to the church in Linford. Uh, it was also a corpse road, trod by those who carried their dead to be buried in consecrated ground. So it was also known as the Way of the Dead, or the Corpse Way. The Corpse Way, that, that just sounds tough. <laughs> along which ghostly processions are... Uh, along which uh, ghostly processions and spectral monks are still seen. So it's, it's still kind of used as a, a religious pathway. Um, on, uh, on Dartmeat Hill stands the, uh, the Coffin Stone with initials and crosses carved in. It was used as a resting place for the coffin while the bearers stopped to have a refreshment before continuing their journey to the church. So, 12-mile path is pretty far. You know, walking with a little buggy, horse with a buggy, charging some dead people along. It's nice to have a, the coffin stone for you to, for you to place your, uh, your, your nearly departed. And uh, you can <laughs> pop open some mead real quick. Um... And said that the devil uh, hit it with a shaft of lightning when uh, when a man of ill repute was rested on it. So, bad dude sitting on the coffin stone. Devil's like, nah, bro, get off. Keep moving. This isn't for you. Vixen Tour. Uh, once again, you know, the one thing they do mention, that, you know, they do mention when it's private land. So, like, you can't easily get here. You need to, you know, find a way to be uh, given permission to, to see these places. So the highest freestanding stone, freestanding rock on a Dartmoor stands on private land, but it can be seen from a distance. Uh, it is associated with the legend of the witch Vixana, who lived in a cave at the foot of the tour. Vixana had the power to conjure up mist, so any unwary travelers who passed the bog nearby would meet their end. Uh, but a handsome young man of the moor, who had the power to see through the mist and to make himself invisible, pushed her to her death. Or according to one version, uh, she crashed on the rocks below the tour while others say she uh, drowned in the bog. So, no, no firm fact on uh, on Vixana's death. A lot of theories out there. <clears throat> so the uh, footprints of the gigantic hound. Um, we dive into some Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle. I forgot that we we dive into his stuff pretty early. Um. Captured the eerie wilderness of Dartmoor and Sherlock Holmes. Uh, most gothic adventure. The Hound of Baskervilles. The Hound of the Baskervilles. Um, incorporating local legends with supernatural elements that somehow hit harder when contrasted with uh, the detective's rationalist methods. Um, I've never read the original uh, Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, my partner always mentioned... Uh, how involved or how much like the stories had like a cult kind of stuff mentioned in it so and so forth but reading this has made me want to dive into the original uh sherlock holmes stories really heavily because i don't know i love the movies love the cool stories love the quips i've heard love the adaptations i've, I've read um a lot of comic books have kind of followed suit with that so why not go to the original source it's probably the best there is out there um so yeah they like they just said, the rational methods, occult shit going on, and you know it's 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 probably a really amazing read. Um, so first they go through uh, Wisman's Wood, um, with the branches of gnarled trees forming a sinister canopy, and the large moss-carpeted boulders making it hard to traverse. This high-altitude oak wood has long been a setting for supernatural occurrences. Its very name derives "wished," meaning eerie or pixie-led. The wood is believed to have been a sacred grove of the druids where they held their rituals, near the so-called druid stone, but is also supposed to be the dwelling place of the demonic wished hounds, who hunt across the moors at night searching for unwary travelers to drag them to the other world. Some say their leader is the devil, others that is the Woden, Old, Cro Old Crockern, the spirit of the moor who lived at the uh, Crockern Tour, 
or the Diabolical Squire from the Buckfastly Sir Richard Campbell. Um, so yeah, this uh, this little section of woods got these nasty hounds roaming about at night. Um, I wouldn't camp there. I would not camp there. So, uh, Fox Tour Myers. About one kilometer northeast of Fox Tour lies the Fox Tour Myers, the, the swampy land, a peat bog that became the Grimpen Mire to, uh, in the Hound of Baskervilles. Do not venture into it. It's extremely treacherous. So that's the first time they've mentioned in this that something is, in fact, dangerous. Um, so I feel like you can trust them. If they're saying don't go there, look at it from a distance. Because everything else, you know, they haven't really said that so far. And everything else is pretty crazy and creepy. <clears throat> but, um, what we got next? Iplipen, uh, St. Andrew's Church. Uh, Park Hill House is the former house of journalist Fletcher Robinson, 1870 to 1907. 37 years old, Phew. who told all these Dartmoor legends to his friend uh, Arthur Cannon Doyle. Co Arthur Conan Doyle. I've been I always pronounce his name wrong. Arthur Conan Doyle. Robinson died of uh, enteric fever and peritonitis at 36. Oh, so it wasn't even 37. Died before his birthday, uh, which Conan Doyle and others attributed to a mummy's curse. He. Uh, his grave, his grave in uh, St. Andrew's Churchyard, where also lies Reverend Robert Dunes Cook, uh, who assisted Robinson in his location shouting for the Scottish author. The house on 2 Wesley Terrace was the residence of Conan Doyle's chauffeur on Dartmoor. Uh, Henry Baskerville, whose surname he borrowed for the novel, the men went drinking at the nearby 13th century old church house inn. Um, repeatedly extremely haunted so now they're just kind of going to like the place where like Conan Doyle would hang out stuff he would do and it's always really creepy haunted places um so that's how the record just quit give me a moment I'm gonna go uh throw another one on and it'll be fun Let's we'll see if it follows suit with uh, how creepy I'm hoping this is. So, let me uh, drop that down here. We got some uh, band full of hell, a split they did with Mersbo, uh, noise, power violence kind of stuff. So, maybe that'll kind of go, uh, go well with the background here. Hopefully, it's not too distracting. <clears throat> so where were we at? We were at a Holy Trinity Church, um, known locally as the Sepulchre. Uh, the pagoda-like building on the south side of the church in Buckfastley's churchyard contains the body of the wicked local squire, Sir Richard Cabell, the inspiration for Conan Doyle, Sir Hugo Baskerville, rumored to have sold his soul to Satan. Um, the squire's hounds are said to howl outside his grave on stormy nights, and demons often linger outside the mausoleum trying to retrieve his soul. That's a bad dude. They, they, want, they, they want that body. Um, if you run around his tomb seven times and place your finger through the bars of the mausoleum, or your little finger into the keyhole of the wooden door, Cabell will come out of his grave and gnaw at it. I would, I would do it. Because you're not, it, 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 he's stuck in there. You're just going to get a little nibble on your finger. You feel like you're over there. You, you, you got to do it. You got to try to get the dude to nibble on your finger a little bit. God. I remember like being younger doing like the Bloody Mary in the mirror. And like, you're like, you're like I'll, do it, I'll, I'll do it. And then like the third time comes, you're just like, oh, shit, you get a little bit nervous. Because you, you just don't know. 
and uh, I'd, I'd talk a big game. I'd, I'd run seven times, and I'd probably scratch my chin a little bit and kind of, I don't know. I want to say I would do it. I'm going to say I would do it. Oh, God, I'd lose a finger probably. That's okay. It'd be a good story. I'd finally have one of those stories. I wouldn't just be talking about the drunk dudes at my local bar. Uh, so, yeah, we're still in Devon. Uh, Lou Trenchard? Lou Trenchard? Lou Renchard? Oh, man, I really need to worry about these pronunciation of places. No, no disrespect. I'm just uh, ignorant American. You, you can ride on that that a lot, I think. And it's it's not okay, but it's like, yeah, he's just, he's, yeah. So, uh, Lou Trenchard Manor, now an exclusive hotel, was the former home of Sabine Baringold, the Anglican priest scholar who uh, studied werewolves, ghosts, and superstitions, penning classics such as A Book of Ghosts and The Book of Werewolves. They know what they like. They just wrote books on them straight up. Many of the, the bench ends at the parish of St. Peter were restored by him. He's buried in the churchyard uh, next to his wife. Okay. So the Book of Ghosts, Book of Werewolves, probably one of like, the first like you know straightforward kind of situations. Yeah. Buried right by this uh, now-exclusive hotel. It's still in, uh, it's still in operation, I believe. Uh, the Devil's Stone, Shebert. Each year at 8 p.m. on November the 5th, the bell ringers of Shaber turn over a rock in the village square to avoid a calamity falling on the village. Legend has it that the devil himself is trapped under the one-ton rock. To trap him again for another year, the stone needs to be flipped over. Um, I have read about this before. They do this every year. Um, I think during COVID, they didn't flip it. I think I read that somewhere. Um, they're like the first initial kind of shutdown thing. But cannot confirm or deny. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll look that up a little bit. And I'll, but I feel like I remember reading that somewhere. So um, next we follow Sutua, Salt and Sands. The dunes of Salt and Sands and the adjacent Broughton Burrows and the northern Devon coast uh, become a mythical landscape in Jersey Skolmowski's The Shout, 1978. Based on a story by Robert Graves in real life, Salt and Sands is a paradise for surfers. But it's uh, hard not to hear the echoes of Crosley's death shout when it's not crowded. Um, so yeah, this is about this is referring to a movie. The shout came out '78, where you know you just hear the echoes and screams of this dude that was murdered out there. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a hot surfing spot. I've seen some videos from there. So next we got a uh, Drake and the Devil, um, known to uh, posterity as the naval hero who defeated the Spanish Armada. Travistock-born Sir Francis Drake, 1540-96, was also a slave trader and a privateer who circum circumnavigated the globe, perhaps due to his uh, preternatural prowess at sea. Okay. Preternatural. I'm, you know, I'm, not a, I'm not a big words guy. It's like it takes me a moment sometimes. Due to his preternatural prowess at sea. So I'm guessing his, his natural strength to uh, you know navigate the sea uh, he remains associated with tales of witchcraft and packs with the devil such as the devil's point uh, legend has it that drake met the devon witches at his headland to cast storms against the spanish armada eventually defeating it echoes of their incantation um, are supposedly heard on windy nights at devil's point uh, and then we got a uh, buckland abbey the architect of drake's home was said to be none other than the devil himself to whom the seafarer sold his soul in exchange for his extraordinary skills. Uh, posterity turned Drake into one of uh, the sleeping heroes of English folklore. On his deathbed aboard his ship off the coast of Panama, he asked his drum to be sent back to Buck Buckland Abbey with the idea that anyone beat on it, he would return to lead his country. Drake's drum was kept at Buckland Abbey for many years and now in the box, Plymouth. Uh, it's supposed to beat um, to be of its own accord whenever the country is in danger and apparently did so in 1914 at the beginning of World War One. Whew. That would be so crazy. Imagine growing up with these stories like, yo, this drum does its thing and then like right at the beginning of World War One, you hear that thud. Oof. That's, that's, a, that's a sign. Um, so we're moving on from Devon, heading on over to uh, Dorset. 
I might have to start skipping. What time we got? 46. I might have to. I might have to plan this a little bit better so we can make sure we get through a full uh, section per show. Because if if we don't, then this is going to take a little while. So we're we're in Dorset. The Singing Barrows. These are uh, six Bronze Age burial mounds said to emit sounds reminiscent of an eerie singing. If you place your ear close to the apex at noon, you'll hear an otherworldly music coming from the ground. The singing has been attributed to the fairy folk. Uh, I love that. Like you know, like listening to like a seashell, kind of hearing hearing what you want to hear, kind of deal. I would I would love to visit the Singing Barrows. I think that that'd be amazing. Um, and then uh, Bettiscombe, Dorset's most famous screaming resident, is the alleged skull of one of Azariah Piney's slaves. Hmm. Piney was one of the Monmouth rebels who escaped from the noose in exchange for a ransom and was shipped, to, uh, shipped in 1685 to the island of Nevis in the West Indies. He made his fortune there by enslaving Africans in sugar plantations. Hmm. The Screaming Skull was believed to belong to one of his slaves, an 18th century man who was buried away from his native land against his wish. The sight of his grave was haunted by his shrieks, which only stopped when his skull was taken to Bethesda Manor. Any attempts to remove it were said to bring calamity upon the house occupants. Bethesda Manor is in far from Kenneth Mead Copus and now a private home. The skull was reportedly examined in 1963 when it was revealed to be that of a European woman who died 3,000 to 4,000 years ago. The skull could have come from the well at the foot of the nearby Iron Age fort on Pilsden Pen, where it might have been placed with ritual purposes as an offering to water spirits. So modern science catching up to the folklore, saying, no, nah, you were wrong, this is a woman, it wasn't a, wasn't a man, but most likely possibly still a slave. So I wouldn't doubt that they were screaming. So St. Mary's Church, Batcombe. Uh, St. Mary's Church is associated with the legend of John Minturn, or uh, Conjuring Minturn, a 16th century squire who lived in nearby Newlands Manor. One day he was riding his horse near the village when he remembered he left his grimoire of black arts open on his desk. Big mistake, big mistake. Fearing his secrets would be revealed, he uh, spurred his horse to take a shortcut crossing over the church. The horse's hooves knocked over, knocked off a stone pinnacle on the tower, and the conjurer landed at the so-called pitching plot near the church. The spot is said to bear the imprint of the horse's hooves. The pinnacle was left untouched for many years, and it stands crooked to this day. Hmm. So, uh, Knowlton Church and Rings. We have the little, back to the um, the map key. We have one of the, the pan heads here. So this is uh, referring to some old gods here. Starts with a quote. There lingers in the air some flavor of the sinister and macabre from archaeologist Jaquetta Hawks on the Knowlton Church and the Rings. Uh, few sites convey the transition from the old religion to Christianity as starkly as this ruined 12th century church standing at the center of an ancient ritual uh, henge earthwork. Part of the most important Neolithic and Bronze Age ceremonial complexes in the south of England. Uh, aside from the church circle, there are three more earthworks on the site, largely destroyed by plowing the North Circle, the, Southern, the North Circle, the Southern Circle, and the so-called Old Churchyard, in spite of its name, is also prehistoric. The tree-covered mound to the east of the Church Circle is uh, the Great Barrow, the largest round barrow in Dorset. The church was in use uh, until the 17th century, um, a 19th century legend says it was abandoned after its bell was stolen by the devil, who threw it into the river, uh, threw it into the river Allen, um, from where it's never been retrieved. Naturally, there are also tales of hauntings, a horse and its rider gallop through the earthwork before they pass, uh, through the church walls and disappear. Hmm. Church is kind of button in, running through. Not say anything. A face peers out of the upper window in the church tower, and a weeping woman has been seen kneeling down outside the church. So this place has, you know, a lot of uh, a lot going on, a lot of different stories. Uh, to the northwest of Knowlton Church and Rings, um, the Dorset uh, Cursus, formed by the twin banks of chalk that stretch for over six miles. This is where the ritual processions would run in ancient times, possibly towards the ceremonial uh, center of Hambledon Hill. About 20 miles from Knowlton is the site of Badbury Rings, next to which was a Romano-Celtic temple. The Iron Age Hill Fort is uh, supposedly haunted by the ghostly cavalcade formed by King Arthur and his knights. 
and by a wounded Roman warrior who likes to press his face against car windows. <laughs> That'd be really funny. You just drive it along, some old warrior just presses his face against there. No one's ever going to believe that. Um, let's do a... And then we got another old god text here. Yeah, the oozer, the Dorset oozer. The fearsome-looking hollow wooden hand was probably masked used to humiliate those whose behavior strayed from the norm. So this is like not super creepy, kind of goofy. It kind of looks like the the old man from Up, but with like classic kind of bull horns and like a. Gosh, really, it's just really, really creepy. Just imagine a dude from Up with some bull horns, pretty much, and you're you're where we need to be. Um. And this hollow wooden head was used to uh, just kind of creep people out, behavior straight from the norm. So back to the, you know, the pipers, all those people who did stuff on Sundays that shouldn't be doing shit on Sundays. They brought this out to kind of creep them into, like, not doing their shit on Sundays, maybe. Uh, in the 19th century, it was under the ownership of the Cave family of Holt Farm in Melbury, Osmond. The original mask has disappeared. That sucks. But a replica is kept at the Dorset County Museum. So I wonder how old it was when it... When it disappeared um so we're gonna move on to the next city somerset somerset um is i don't know if i don't remember if they go into this but somerset is like a a high strangeness um hot spot um it is built on a huge slab of granite i'm familiar with this just from in the world of uh you talk about that was at 37th or 39th parallel in the U.S. How a lot of like high strangeness, weird shit goes on there. Um, Somerset in Kentucky is also built on a large uh, granite deposit and has a lot of high strangeness. It seems like whenever something's built on a large foundation of that, weird shit always happens. There's always mental health issues with the cities that live nearby. Um, there's always just thin veil areas, what people refer to. You know, if you're into like mothman stuff uh any any of that world we can we can dive into that a lot after we get through this book um bring in some more publications on that and we can talk about uh youtube documentary series that came out hellier was really cool they dive into a lot of that where i've gotten you know a lot of my information from there to kind of dive further into this stuff but uh, let's see what uh they got to say about somerset on their end um, we can start with uh, Bly Bond's Psychic Archaeology. In 1908, um, Glastonbury Abbey was excavated by Frederick Bly Bond, an architect and antiquarian who, along with his friend Captain John Allen Barrett, used automatic writing to uncover um, its missing features and what is considered to be the first documented instance of psychic archaeology. Flybond also designed the cover of the chalice well, where the two interlocking circles forming the esoteric symbol uh, Vesica Pisces are surrounded by the Glastonbury thorn. The latter, a form of a common hawthorn found in the area, is said to have grown from where Joseph of Arimathea thrust his staff when he visited Glastonbury, bringing with him the Holy Grail. That sounds kind of cool. Uh, Somerset, Glastonbury. Looks like we only got about five minutes left, so I'm not going to get through all of uh, the Southwest. So I'll revisit that next Monday, and then we're going to be diving into the next section of the country, which is uh, the Southeast, Hampshire, Berkshire, Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire, Isle of Wight, Surrey, Sussex, and Kent. Um, Southwest was a great place to start for this book. It's got a lot of really cool stuff that, you know, a lot of names you should be familiar with if you're uh, familiar with this world of shit. Um, so, at the core of this small Somerset town, Glastonbury, lie the ruins of a once great monastery that claimed to hold the grave of King Arthur. Dominating the landscape for miles is Glastonbury Tor, the conical hill crowned by the Tower of St. Michael's Church. Once an island surrounded by marshy land, uh, it is associated with the Isle of Avalon and thought to be the doorway to the Celtic Otherworld. Guarded by Gwyn Apnud, King of the Fairies, the leader of the Wild Hunt, the tour has been uh, a site of pilgrimage since medieval times, and the seven lands of several levels of terraces 
around it are used as a ritual maze to climb to the top. So this is, like I said, I really wish uh, you guys were reading this along with me. It'd be kind of cool. But, you know, the, the pictures they give me, I understand what's going on. Hopefully I'm uh, reading this. You can kind of get a picture yourself or you're hearing some shit. I'm like, oh, I want to look that up. So Somerset, Glastonbury, a lot of cool shit goes on there. Um, Dion Fortune's Avalon, a cult as Violet Firth, best known as Dion Fortune. 1890 to 1946 was one of the most influential ceremonial magicians of the 20th century born in north wales and brought up in the west country she established a base for her occult group in glastonbury in 1924 they bought an old orchard at the foot of glastonbury tour and built a veranda and a series of huts um, their so-called chalice orchard is now occupied by a house built by a welsh architect who named it uh Berikak, which means place of special spiritual blessing it's currently a guest house that overlooks the chalice well gardens fortune was buried in the churchyard of saint john's church so that's pretty cool person who now owns it kind of keeps true to it a bit like lending to the the healthy folklore of this place so we got the uh, wookie hole caves the limestone caves at wookie hole used for around forty-five thousand years are one of the main tourist attractions in somerset the legendary witch of Wookiee Hole is uh, supposed to have a woman who lived in the cave and who, having been spurned by her lover, acquired the habit of cursing young couples. One of her victims later became a monk in Glastonbury Abbey. Seeking revenge, he entered the caves and blessed it, blessed the underground water, splashing the witch with it. As a result, she turned into the uh, stalagmite known as the Witch of Wookiee. If you ever visited some, some caves, they always... It's kind of the same thing as the as the megaliths, you know. They're they're a certain shape. They lend the mind to believe a certain way. And like you go into caves, you can be like, oh, like make some cool stories about the formations. It's always super interesting. Um, the section of the witch's chimney contains a large number of apotrope. I don't even know what that word means. Apotropic marks, which would have been carved to offer ritual. Oh, okay, so it's more like just kind of your basic like ritual screw scribes there. Uh, would have been carved to offer ritual protection against evil, probably dating from 1550 to 1750. So, Stanton Drew, uh, lesser known than uh, Stonehenge and Avebury, Stanton Drew is now thought to be a much more important ritual site than previously imagined. The three stone circles that form it were built during the late Neolithic period around 2500 BCE. The Great Circle is one of the largest stone circles in the country, with 26 surviving upright stones surrounded by a deep circular ditch. Inside the circle were nine concentric rings of wooden posts. The northeast circle is the smallest of the three circles. Within it were four timber posts standing in a square. The three large stones in the garden of the village pub are known as the cove. As recorded by John Aubrey in 1664, locals called the stones the wedding believing they were petrified guests of a wedding party uh, celebrated on a Saturday night. The fiddler stopped playing at midnight, respecting the rule of not dancing on a Sunday, but a handsome fiddler, the devil in disguise, carried on playing faster and faster until the wedding guests collapsed and turned into stone. The three stones from the cove are said to be the parson, bride, and bridegroom. At midnight on the sixth day after a full moon, the stones are said to come alive and walk down to the river Chu to have a drink. Counting the stones is supposed to be an impossible task that will bring calamity or death. After John Wood did so in 1749, a violent storm shook the village. It is said that a baker once placed a loaf of bread on each stone to help him count them, but the bread disappeared every time he turned back. So with that, I'm going to part ways with you. We'll come back to this to... Um, some druidical uh, fancies and we'll move on to Gloucestershire which we'll talk more about Pan New Forest the Cult of Pan etc etc um, so I hope you enjoyed that if you did check back in next Monday kind of keep going through that book and uh, it'll be a long ride because it's we're about a tenth of the way through it so thanks for tuning in to M. Crow Radio sponsored by M. Crow Beer Glacier Cold Fawn Fresh <laughs>